Um, you should be in Romans chapter 12. We are going to uh, uh, conclude our series today entitled uh, God's Will, My Life. And we've been looking at the book of Jonah and uh, really beginning to put our life inside of this book and say, okay, are there some things that I need to work on? Is there some similar struggles that Jonah had that maybe, that maybe I face at times? And uh, so we've been going through this book and we've been talking about it. And here's the conclusion we've come to, um, that at some point your life will intersect with God's will. Okay? And when it intersects with God's will, you have one of two choices. You can choose to run from it, as we see Jonah did, okay? or you can choose just to say yes to it and do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the second option is the best option. All right? that, that honestly, the will of God for our life, and too often times we begin to look at the will of God for our life uh, in, in, in regards to a job in regards to a specific city, in regards to a specific neighborhood. Does God do those things, and can he do those things? Absolutely. But we've begun to to settle the will of God that is simply this, that as we become Christ followers, we are fully surrendered to him, walking in obedience to what he wants us to do. Okay? You say, I know, that's the point. What does he want us to do? It's real easy. He wants us to go make disciples out of all people. Are you with me this morning? Okay? This is what, and we see this with Jonah, that Jonah was called to go and minister to a city so that city would be saved. And this ultimately is the will of God. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Are you with me this morning? Okay? And that's why it doesn't really matter what job you have. It doesn't really matter what city you live in, although God does pre-appoint those things and can position you in those places. But the reality is this, is that no matter where we live, no matter what job we have, no matter where we go to school, we can be in the will of God right there at that moment as we are sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Amen. Good. All right. Glad you settled that for me. I'm still not getting it. Well, hopefully you will today. Okay? Jonah chapter 1, we looked at this, that God calls people. God called Jonah and Jonah ran. Okay? God calls people. First and foremost, God calls people to repentance, the, the one that's not walking with him, the, 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 uh, the pre-saved person. Come on, somebody. All right? Uh, the one that hasn't said yes to Jesus yet. God calls that person to himself. Okay? Many people choose to continue and run because there's a way that seems right to a person, to a man, to a woman, but the end thereof leads to death. And so they continue to run their own course or their own way, but God is calling them, and they can choose to surrender their life to him, or they can keep going their own way. Okay? The other thing God does is once we're believers, God calls us to obedience, and we're to obey. How do, what am I supposed to obey? Well, it starts right here. As you read this, what's this telling you to do? Okay? And we obey that. We walk in that. So we see in Jonah chapter 1 that, that God calls, people run, but by his grace, he hurls a storm at Jonah to get Jonah back into the will of God. Oftentimes, the storms that happen in our life are not due to the devil, but they're due to your disobedience to God. Well, Okay? Because God calls you and you disobey, but it's God's grace that hurls that storm at your life. Because he loves you so much, he cares about you so much, that he knows the plans and the thoughts he has for you, and he knows they're, they're a lot better than your thoughts or your plans. And so he hurls that storm at you to cause you to get back into line with his will. Jonah chapter 2, we looked at Jonah's season of confinement, as the whole chapter is, is really him in the belly of the fish. And he's confined in that space until he comes to this place of repentance. And once he repents, then what's the Bible say that that God God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited. It's a great picture, isn't it? The fish vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And then we go into chapter 3. The whole whole chapter is really dealing with with, with Jonah in a season of confinement. We, We begin to see that it's those seasons of confinement that begin to refine us 
so that we begin to go back to repentance, so we begin to turn and go back to the will of God. Jonah chapter 3, we looked at it two weeks ago. Last week, we had the opportunity to baptize 14 people right on the other side of those orange doors right there. Come on, it was an exciting time. Matter of fact, look around right now, and if you don't see those people here, all right, you got to go after them. They made a commitment to Jesus. Come on, somebody. So look around right now. Are they here? If not, write down their names and go after them. If you're watching online, it's not acceptable. Get to church, okay? So Jonah chapter 3, the week before that, though, we, we, we realize this, that once we repent, that God calls us back. But here's the thing, is that God doesn't call us back to what we want. God calls us back to what he wants. And so he didn't change the call on Jonah's life. He didn't say, Jonah, I'm so glad you finally repented and got right with me. You know what? You're right. I got something new for you. I want you to go to Hawaii rather than Nineveh. Come on, somebody. And I want you to minister on the beaches of Waikiki. Come on, somebody. No, his call stayed the same. He said, Jonah, now get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. He reminds Jonah that the call, that the call is great. And we see that Jonah goes, and even though it's really a half-hearted message, that God uses that half-hearted obedience, and it connects it with other people in the city, and a great revival breaks out. Well, I'll, as soon as I read uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to read Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to conclude this series today. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't do things as the world does them. Do them differently and discern and know and live in the will of God. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. End of chapter 3, God saves the whole city. Revival's taking place. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I, I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and, and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. For some reason, this ticked Jonah off. Hmm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Has Jonah lost his mind? It's better for me to die than you to save these people. How dare you do your will, God? Please take my life. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and uh, sat to the uh, east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it and pouted in the shade. I added the pouted part. Till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over, up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind at the, uh, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Dear Lord to die again. Hmm. 
It is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes. I do do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You all reading your Bible? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor do you uh, make it grow, which came into being in, uh, in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand? And also, much cattle, period, end of book. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would just speak so clearly. And God, for those that are here today wrestling still with God, what, what you want for our life, God, I pray it'd be settled today. God, I pray that no matter what they're doing, God, whether they're, they're working at Starbucks, whether they own their own business, God, what, no matter what they're doing, they would realize that the will of God is here, it's now, it's sharing the love of Jesus with others. God, there are many people in our city that need to know you and, and God, you're just waiting on us to share that message. And so I pray today that, God, you would search our hearts, change our hearts, and let us grow in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 There was a little girl at, uh, at, uh, at my daughter's school, and actually all of them, they were, they were sitting there and they were drawing first grade, and the teacher said, hey, we're going to have drawing time, and so they're drawing, they could sketch whatever they want, and, and so they're sitting down there with their little heads, and they're sketching stuff out, and, and drawing stuff, and, and having a good time, and the teacher would come around, and, and check on things, and see what they're drawing, just to make sure they're still sketching away, and came to this one particular girl, and, and, and couldn't really tell what she was drawing, and said, uh, excuse me, yeah, um, what, what, what's your picture of? The little girl looks up and says, I'm drawing a picture of God. Teacher kind of stands back, puzzled for a minute, and says, but, but no, one, no one knows what God's look looks like. The little girl keeps sketching and looks up and goes, yeah, but they will when I'm done with my picture. <laughs> Let me finish. Finish that picture so you can know what God, God looks like. <laughs> Not so much with God, but oftentimes with the will of God for our life, we really don't know what the picture looks like. We can't put it all together. We can't quite see and, and make this clear snapshot of it. But here's what we need to know is that God knows what the picture looks like. Are you with me? We might not know it completely clear. We might just have bits and pieces. Oftentimes it looks like a puzzle and we're just trying to piece this together with that and, and trying to make this picture make sense. But here's the cool part is that God knows what it looks like. And he has good things in store for you. He has a great plan for your life. And all you have to do is continue to submit to him, walk in obedience, and do what he says. And all of a sudden you'll look back one day and you'll say, wow, look at that awesome picture God made. For my life. I've been reading my daughters, The Chronicles of Narnia, the first book. They've been begging me ever since 2006 when the movie came out. All their friends got to see it, but we thought they were too young, and plus we wanted to read the books to them first, and, and so they've been begging me, literally, for the last, I mean, it came out in 2006. What is that, five years? Daddy, can we watch it? Daddy, can we watch it? Okay? Especially my oldest one, and she just wants to go, all of her friends have seen it. And so a little while ago, we got the whole series, and we began to read the book, and they were asking about the movie, and I said, I'll tell you what, girls, after we finish the book, then we'll watch the movie. And they were like, okay. And so like every day, like, can we read another chapter? Can we read another chapter? And so we've been reading it. So we finished it last night, and no sooner do we get done with that, they just look and say, can we watch the movie now? 
And it was like eight something at night, and I'm thinking, man, it's going to be a late night, but you know what? Why not? Let's have family night, and let's watch the movie. We finished the book, and so we put the movie on, and I'm telling you what, it was one of the coolest movie-watching experiences I've ever had, because they've already gone through the book. They already, they already kind of envisioned what takes place, and so we're sitting there watching the movie together, and, and fi- a car is on this side, Faith's on this side, and I'm ready in case it's too scary for them to cover their eyes, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is Faith never, never carry, covers her eyes at the scary parts, it's her ears. It's so funny. She can watch it. She just can't hear it. If it sounds creepy, it's, it's creepy. And so she's like this, and I'm like this, and the scary parts. And, but it was so much fun watching this movie after we read the book, because literally throughout the whole movie, Car and Faith were like, oh, oh, this is the part where, where that happens. And then this is the part where, where that's going to happen. And oh, that's what they look like? I pictured them a little bit different in my mind. And where's Aslan? And oh, there's Aslan. And they were just like literally nonstop for an hour and 45 minutes. It was the best time ever. They remembered the book. And because they read the book, they knew what was going to come up. They knew what was going to happen next. They knew the parts that were about ready to take place. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something today? The will of God for your life is so much simpler if you read the book. Because if you read the book, then when it begins to play out in front of you, you can say, oh, this is the part where I'm supposed to do this, and this is the part where I'm supposed to, oh, and I know what's going to happen here because God said this and God did that. Why? Because I already read the book. Are you with me today? Too many of us are sitting there watching the thing for the first time, like, oh, what's going to happen? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all ever read a book and then went to the movie? You know, and it's like, oh, it just like, makes it so much better. But when you've never seen the movie before, you're like, ah. Oh you're freaking out. The reason some of you are freaking out in your life, what am I supposed to do? What's the will of God for my life? Because you're not reading the book. Read the book. Read the book. And life will begin to make so much more sense. And the will of God will begin to make so much more sense. I was like, we could just stop right there, have an altar call. How many of you guys reading your Bible? Nobody, come up right now, repent. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's such a great book. Just like, just short little snapshots. The way it ends is just, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of funny to me. It just stops. There's 120,000 people that know the right hand from the left and cattle too, period. Take that, Jonah, you know. And it's kind of, kind of funny the way it ends, but here we find ourselves at the conclusion of this series, the conclusion of the book, and really the climax of the story and what's taking place. Up until this point, God's been dealing with Jonah, and Jonah's kind of getting it here and there, and I believe that Jonah finally did get it, thus he wrote the book. I mean, come on, how many of you guys would write a book about yourself like this if you didn't get it, right? I mean, I, I don't know why he didn't add chapter 5, like, I got it, you know, but he didn't. I would have, okay? But obviously, I believe he, he finally caught it, and he finally got it, because here he is, and he, he writes the story, and obviously he writes it after the fact, but here in chapter 4, something is really dynamic is taking place. And if we don't stop to, to look at it, we just kind of miss the whole point. Jonah now, he's, he's ran from God. A storm comes, turns him back to God. He finds himself, and there's some pretty crazy stuff happening. He finds himself in a fish. He's there for three days. Can you imagine what he smelt like, looked like? Come on, somebody. Comes out. He's repentant. He's like, okay, I'll do it. Okay, but then he does it. Now here's the crazy thing. This is the climax of the story. He preaches. Now most preachers would be really thrilled with the results. He preaches, and not five people. We had four people get saved last week. Come on, somebody. That's pretty awesome. On Monday night, uh, one of our community group leaders, they had five people get saved on Monday or Tuesday night at their community group. That's pretty fantastic. 
I'm, I'm rejoicing over that. Okay, 14 people baptized. God's building this church. Pretty excited. Here's Jonah, and he preaches to a whole city, and the whole city gets saved. Wow! Can you imagine? Man, you imagine if I just started today and just ran through the city preaching, and everybody's just repenting. Pretty soon, all of San Diego is in love with Jesus. It's on the news. And I come to church, and I'm like, gosh, stinking God. I knew he's going to do that. He's gracious. He's good. He loves people. Man, how dare he? But this is what this is what Jonah's doing. He's ticked off. I would love to have those results. Jonah, he's not so happy. Why is Jonah not happy? Well, yeah, we understand that Nineveh was was the primary opposition to Israel. But I'm sure if God was good enough to save them, He's good enough to turn their hearts so they won't keep oppressing Israel. Really what it boils down to, I believe, is this. As you read the whole book, Jonah wanted to run. He didn't want to do the will of God. Here in chapter 4, he does it, and now the results come out, and he's mad. Why is he mad? He's mad because God's will was done and not his own. In his heart, he was like, I don't want the city saved. God's heart, I want the city saved. He's upset Great things are happening. He should be rejoicing, but he's upset because he didn't get what he wanted. This is where we find ourselves today. The whole chapter, all of chapter 4, is really dealing with one thing. It's dealing with Jonah's heart. It's dealing with Jonah's heart. And I believe that in the next few minutes, that's what God wants to deal with in each and every one of us. He wants to deal with our heart. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's easy for us to read through this Bible and do what I just did. Like, oh, man, Jonah, you're such a dork. You missed it. You know, and whoever else you're reading about, you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, come on. Why did you do that? That's easy to do. The hard part is to take the Bible and say, wow, which one of these guys in the Bible am I? Do, do I do that sometimes? Do I get upset When God gets what he wants in my life, but yet I don't get what I want in my life. Well, it's going to get real personal for the next few moments. See, it's easy to read and be like, oh, Jonah, jeez, come on, just buck up and do it, dude. What about you? What things does God have in store for you that you've been running from? You maybe even be like Jonah and maybe you're half-heartedly doing it. And then you see the results or something happens and you get upset. God's like, why are you upset? Can the clay say to the potter, why did you form me like this? No, God is the master potter. You're the clay and he gets to do whatever he wants with your life. Really? Here's the crazy thing is a lot of people, a lot of people think uh, that if I don't say yes to Jesus, then he can't do what he wants with my life wrong. Ask a guy named Pharaoh in Egypt. I'll just, you gotta go back and read that story. Here's a guy that didn't fear God, wanted to kill all the people that did fear God. And God uses him, hardens his heart, the Bible says. That's not fair. Take it up with God. I'm just reading the Bible. You with me today? So many times we actually are like Jonah. We do the same thing sometimes. It doesn't work out the way we want it. Now here's here's a great test to know if someone can submit to the will of God. 
Okay, you ready? It's going to be real practical, real easy. Watch somebody, and when they have their plans made, and their plan is made, and hey, even if it's just for the day, it doesn't have to be like lifelong plans. It could be like, hey, we're going to do this, 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 this. And I, I, someone actually told me a story about yesterday. I'm not using you as an example, so please, I'm not going to look at you because I'm really not. This is here an analogy before I talk to you, okay? And you have your plans made, and your plans get interrupted. How does that person act when their plans get interrupted? I'm telling you what, if you continually have a hard time with that, you probably have a hard time submitting to the will of God for your life. Well, just write that one down. Because I don't know why it is, but the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever seems to change things up all the time. Anybody ever had that experience? Now, obviously, he's talking about his nature. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But man, sometimes he just, he just changes things up on us. Watch a man, watch a woman, and how they respond when their plans don't work out. See how they respond? That person has, oftentimes, a hard time surrendering to the will of God. That's why, I, you know, I really believe that sometimes we should just do things just because we should do them. What do you mean by that? Too oftentimes when it comes to the will of God for our life, but let's even just take it to a smaller, smaller portion here, when it comes to serving in church. Oh, here he goes again. The only people that hate me right, right now are the ones that aren't serving in church, okay? When it comes to serving in church, well, there's just nothing there that I like to do. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot it was about you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. They just don't have. That's not really what I want to do. You know what? As Christ followers, sometimes we're going to be asked by God to do things we don't want to do. Ask Jonah. And it's in those seasons, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, it's in those seasons where our heart really gets tested. Ask Abraham. Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son. I want you to take him up on the mountain, the one I promised you, the one that's going to fulfill all this stuff, that one, and I want you to kill him. That's not fair, God. I know. Life isn't sometimes. Sometimes we should do things just because we should do them. Whether it be, you know, ushering and door greeting. Well, I'm just not, I'm not good with people. Well, get saved, okay? And you'll be good with people, all right? Okay? But sometimes, Jesus, think about him. Jesus, you're going to go, you're going to die on the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's he having? He's having this passionate, intimate conversation with God. I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. You're going to be asked sometimes. So why not start practicing it here so when God comes around and asks you to do something, it's a whole lot easier. Are you with me? Okay? Find an area. Get involved. I was talking with somebody last week about children's ministry. And they, they honestly, they, they said it so perfectly. They said, you know what, we, we oftentimes pitch ministries, and we do this a lot at our church. We, we, we have ministries that say, hey, you know, which one is your heart, and what do you want to do? And, and I was talking with this person. They said, you know what, sometimes people should just do it because there's a need. And as Christ followers, we should fill the need and fill the gap. He said, you know what you should do? You should, you should run an ad and, and show them children's ministry, but then have one of the, the children's workers, because we have children's workers that aren't necessarily like, yeah, children! Okay? 
And you know, here's the reality of it, is it ends up being a lot of parents that end up serving in there, and the reality is they love their children, they just don't love your children, okay? Because really, I mean, you have children all week long, and it's like, you know, I want to go to Sunday, and I just want to sit and just be yelled at by the pastor, rather than a (laughs) five-year-old, you know? But man, if people, they just, you know what, there's a need. You're a Christ follower. This is your community. Why don't you pick a place? Why don't you serve, get involved, and let's do this thing together? That was really good. We'll have sign-ups right afterwards today. Other thing is God uses people oftentimes to help you direct that. Help you direct what? Help you to direct that will of God in your life. God uses people. God uses authority figures. Hmm. Let me just read this to you. Our whole Christian experience is based around the idea that my will must be surrendered to his. This is an ongoing and sometimes painful experience, but, at the, end, but the end result, if yielded to him, is amazing. But I'll be honest with that, that is totally conflicting with the Western mindset. Totally conflicting. It's conflicting even with Jonah's mindset. I don't really want to do it because I know if I do it, then your will is going to be done, not my will. It's conflicting. And so God begins to deal with Jonah's heart. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is really addressing the heart. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this, hey guys, don't do things the way the world does them. And the way the world does them when it comes to the will, not the will of God, but the will for their life, what am I going to do, what am I going to become, how am I going to live, it's all based on what feels good, what looks good, what seems right. Are you with me today? And they make decisions based on that. She looks good. The job looks good. Lots of money. And so we make decisions, or the world makes decisions based on that. Paul says, hey, don't be as the world is. Make your decisions differently. How do I do that? Surrender to him. What's he saying? Read the book. Really, it's that simple? Oftentimes it is. Oftentimes it is. I know for me, there are many times when I've been asked to do something I didn't want to do, but I'm so glad I did it. I was right here, and and I was uh, serving in a church in Rancho Bernardo. And God began to speak to me and my wife about planting a church, this church. We didn't quite have the area banged out, but we knew it was either going to be in downtown area or it's going to be in South Bay, and so we began to pray. God began to confirm it. It's, it's, it's more this area, and so, man, we began to pray about that. And God began to show us, and I've shared this before, and we have a whole journal full of stuff that God was speaking to us about this church. Time came, and I thought, all right, we're out. We're going to go do this thing. And God says, no. How do you say no? Was it an audible voice? No, it came through the voice of my pastor. Well... It's amazing how God can use people in your life, your wife, your husband, a boss, a pastor. It's amazing how God uses those people to speak. Some people ask, how'd you know that it wasn't the right timing? I didn't. My pastor told me it wasn't the right timing. (laughs) 
and I did not like that at all. I didn't like it. I was about ready to say, you know what, forget you. Who do you think you are? I'm going, I'm doing this thing. And then I, I laid it before God and my parents, and my parents quickly gave me some wise counsel. <laughs> and another door opened up to go to Las Vegas. Now, you know it has to be God to move from San Diego to Vegas. It has to be God. It had to be God. I didn't want to go at all, even when the door opened up. door was wide open. Here's my, here's my exit. I can go there, you know, keep, keep a paying job, working with youth and all this stuff. I didn't want to go. And then God spoke through my wife. Then we're going. I don't want to go. It's like 145 degrees in the shade. I don't want to go. So we laid it before God. We said, God, would you confirm your will? I'm looking for three simple things. I pray that when I crest over the 15 and I see Vegas, that I like it. Pray that when I get to church tonight, that my daughter will actually go to kids' class and love it. Real simple things. And I pray that I'd find a house this weekend. There for three days. Came over the 15. Look at all the lights. This could work. They have malls with lots of shopping. Tons of restaurants with lots of food. This could work. Checked our daughter in. She went right in. Up until that point, she'd been having, at our own church that we'd been at for six years, she was having struggles going into class. That's why it was such a huge prayer request. She went right in, loved it. Loved it. And then we found a house Monday as we were leaving. Looked at one last house. This is it. Put an offering. Got it. God confirmed his will. How did he confirm it? First of all, through my pastor. Through my parents. Through my wife. And through three little things I laid out there. You know what we need to stop, and I'm, I'm going to finish up here. You know what we need to stop? We need to stop being flaky Christians. Well, I'll write that one down. I hope, I hope this is speaking to somebody. We need to stop being flaky Christians. What's a flaky Christian? A flaky Christian is someone that takes the will of God for their life through the, the, the filters that the world does. I think God's speaking to me about this. Why? Because I love it. It's just, I, I just get lots of joy out of it. It's so much fun. Really? Yeah, it does. I mean, doesn't the Bible say he'll give me the desires of my heart? Yeah, you forgot the first part of the verse. Oh, what's that part say? Delight yourself. Oh, I love delighting in worship. I love when pastor gets up there and he's, you know, just makes me want to do that too. I just love worship. It's so great. I've said this before, but if you look at the word delight, it really doesn't mean having fun in the presence of God. <laughs> the picture is actually going back to the clay. And the potter has a sharp knife, and he's cutting off those edges that he doesn't like. And then he's smashing you down and starting all over. Puts you on the wheel, starts to spin. I don't like that picture. <laughs> You delight yourself, sure. He, sure, you know, the Bible says he'll make you happy in your labor. He'll make you joyful. You, you delight yourself. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to stop taking the will of God through the channels of the world. What feels right, what looks good, what seems right. Okay, th there's the will of God. Maybe that's not the will of God at all. We cannot base the will of God on emotions and feelings and doing what, what seems like the right thing to do. Because oftentimes the thing we're supposed to do doesn't seem right at all. But it, I don't feel it inside. So what? 
What's he saying to do? I mean, there's some real practical things. Don't sleep with, any, don't sleep with anybody but your wife. But that's not what I'm feeling. Well, let's change scripture then. Oh, there's, I mean, you, you just boil it all down. I, I just, you know, I don't feel like sharing my faith with that person. Where does that in the Bible? Share the love of, oh, here it is, Jonah chapter 5, verse 1. Share the love of God with people when you feel like it. Is somebody with me today? You say, Ben, well then, what channels do I take this through? I mean, if God is speaking to me, and I feel God speaking, and listen to me, a lot of times I feel like God's speaking to me, but it's just the pizza I had that night. Are you with me? I feel like I had dreams. Well, stop drinking, you know, caffeinated coffee before you go to bed. You know? I couldn't sleep at all last night. I believe God was speaking to me. Could have been the Dr. Pepper I pounded, 32 ounces, 7-Eleven. Okay? Too often times, listen to me. Yeah, God speaks here, but then there's a channel that we can begin to take that through. Is somebody with me today? Say, Ben, what's that channel? Let me just give you some things real quick, and we're done right here. We're done right here. God is working on Jonah's heart. God wants to work on your heart. God wants to take you out of of making decisions based the way the world does. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of God wants to take you out of that and take you right back to here and see that there are some things as Christ followers that we just do, whether we feel like it or not. And it's called discipline. And when you become disciplined, you become a disciple. When you become a disciple, you're doing what God's asking you to do. That's why sometimes having that boss over your life hurts. Are you with me? The, 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 the employer tells you how to do something as an employee, well, I don't really want it. You do it anyway. That's why you have parents in your life. That's why you have authority figures in your life. God begins to speak, what do I do with that? Let me just give you this real quickly. You, you, when, you, when it comes to making a decision, the will of God, what do you hear? Write it down. Yes, what do I hear? What's God speaking? Man, that's a big part of it. Listen to me, if someone says, hey, you're supposed to move to Antarctic tomorrow but you've never felt that in your life, it's probably not God. Why would God ever move anybody there? I mean, come on. Okay. What are you feeling? Secondly, what does the Word say? What does the Word of God say? Before you take it any further, what are you feeling? Take it back to the Word of God. Is it it outside of the context of the Word of God? Number three, real simply, the Bible says there's, mul- there's, there's safety in the multitude of counsel. There's safety in the multitude of counsel. What do you mean? What does that mean? That means who are some authority figures in your life? Parents? Pastors? And go to them and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is the word I'm getting from God. Could I just get some wisdom and some counsel? Really? It's in the Bible, Proverbs. Safety in the multitude of counsel. Get that counsel. Who are those people speaking in your life? And lastly, this is so simple. Lastly, talk yourself out of it. What? If you feel like God's speaking to you about something, try to talk yourself out of it. Because if you can talk yourself out of it, it probably wasn't God. Talk yourself out of it. We had to do that one time. That was, matter of fact, we, we had a, a meeting with our first pastors in Seattle when we're moving to San Diego the first time. And this is what our meeting consisted of. Everything. 
We walked in. They said, tell us what you want to do. And they literally sat there and they said, I don't think that's the will of God. Really? No, I don't. I don't think it's the will of God. Matter of fact, how are you going to do this? How are you going to support yourselves? Boom, just went down this list. We walked away. For about two minutes, we were crushed. We were like, I thought pastors were supposed to support me. I thought they were supposed to love me and give me guidance and give me counsel. It was the best counsel I've ever got in my life. Because as I sat there and talked about it with Katie, we're like, I, I thought this, and the more we talked about it, the more God confirmed his will that we were supposed to move to San Diego. So we scheduled another meeting with the pastors. And we sat down, and they said, what's God speaking? I said, we're supposed to go. And they smiled, and they said, all right, then you're supposed to go. But you're the same evil people just a minute ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? And they explained to us, they said, we knew if we could talk you out of it that it wasn't the will of God. But since you came back with stronger convictions, we believe it's God too, and we're going to send you to go to San Diego. And we left. What does it come down to? It comes down to a heart thing. Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3. God is dealing with Jonah. The climax of the story, Jonah chapter 4. God begins to turn the attention off of what he's supposed to have done or supposed to do back onto Jonah. And says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And God begins to bring it full circle and begins to go after his heart. Why? Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Above all things, the heart is wicked. Who can know the heart of man except for God? You mean my heart, it's wicked. I don't want it to be. I know you don't, but it is. That's why the Bible says to guard your heart. Proverbs 4, with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Don't look to the left or the right, but keep your eyes straight ahead of you. That's why Paul talks about, hey guys, you need to keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Forget those things that are behind and press forward that you might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus lays hold of you. Read the New Testament. What is the primary thing that Jesus dealt with? He dealt with the heart of people. It's all about getting your heart changed. It's all about getting your heart renewed. God wants to do something great in you and through you and for you and to you, but he can't do it unless you begin to surrender your heart completely to him. And I believe that Jonah finally made that turn and thus he was able to write this book so you and I today can look at it and say, wow, God, how does this book fit into my life? What areas are you working on in me? God, is there an area in my heart that I'm holding back from you? God, am I supposed to release this and release that? And God is beginning right now I believe God is beginning right now to begin to put his finger on some things in your life listen to me number one if you're doing something that is contrary to the word of God stop it God's speaking to your heart stop it if you're living with somebody you're not married to him stop it if you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to him stop it if you're talking about your boss behind his back when you're at work stop it Well, talking about your pastor after the service. Stop it. You're talking bad about other churches. Stop it. It's the bride of Christ. God wants to go after your heart. You're begging him for God. What's the will of God for my life? Your heart to be changed, to transformed. Take a heart of stone and put on a heart of flesh that he can mold and 
make ready, perfect for his, his use. God's after your heart just like he was after Jonah's heart. God wants you to know something today that he has great plans for you, great thoughts for you, great future for you, but he wants you to release your heart to him so that he can do what he wants to do in you, through you, and for you. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I pray right now, Lord, there be people here that, God, they heard the message today and maybe there's an area of their heart that they know They know, they know, they know they need to release. God, they know they need to change. God, they know they need to make an adjustment. God, not just because they're they're feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, but because your word declares it. So I pray for every person in this place right now. God, I believe this was a word from you. I believe it was a word from heaven. God, so many of us after, God, what's your will for my life? And God, simply it's to surrender to you and walk in full and complete obedience. And Lord, right now, Right now, I hear the Holy Spirit. Just close your eyes for a minute. I hear the Holy Spirit say this to some of you today, that God has something so great for you. God has something so great for you. As you read Hebrews, Hebrews begins to remind us of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And there was a season where they had to wander in the wilderness yet longer, and they were kept from the promised land. They were kept from the great thing that God had for them. And Hebrews says it was because of their evil heart of unbelief. It wasn't just the lack of faith. It was the wickedness in their heart that created the lack of faith. God had to address their heart. When there is something holding you back today from the good and perfect will of God, as it talks about in Romans 12, Don't be conformed to this world. Why did you address some of those simple issues you just addressed at the end? Because if you're doing that, you look just like the world. And God says, stop it. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's somebody in here and you're a complainer. And you complain about way too much and God is dealing with your heart right now. It's time to stop complaining, and it's time to start rejoicing. The next time you go to complain about your job, why don't you stop and thank God that you have a job? Yeah. Next time you go to complain about your spouse, why don't you stop for a minute? Remember that God brought you together. Remember why you fell in love with them in the first place. And then go look in the mirror and realize the issue is probably you. Next time you go and complain about a, a Christian brother, a Christian sister, anybody for that matter, what's the Bible say? Hey, take the beam out of your own eye before you go take the splinter out of theirs. Next time you go talk about, about another church that's preaching the word of God, why don't you stop for a minute and realize that's the bride of Christ. That's your own body you're abusing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants your heart today. God wants to meet your heart, cleanse your heart, fix your heart. I believe God's got you in the right place at the right time. The next step is up to you. The next step is up to you. Hallelujah.